At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 285th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how to save your own. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is dedicated to bringing the food revolution to impoverished neighborhoods. We're talking to Kifrin Barefoot about From Poverty to Paleo, an incredible journey from farmer to chef. Kifrin's childhood was rooted in deep poverty in the Detroit ghetto. As an adult, she raised six children and found an avocation of fighting for food justice. She made her living as an organic farmer for seven years and later founded a nonprofit that established and ran a 32-acre organic farm. Spurred by memories of childhood hunger and informed by years of farming, Kifrin's creative instincts came together in the creation of the Free Farms Project. She obtained a business degree and then created Sabertooth Paleo, a gluten-free paleo bakery. Company profits will be funneled into acquisition and development of land in impoverished neighborhoods, as well as funding ongoing food production. The fresh organic food produced on these free farms will be available to area residents for free. Welcome to the show today, Kifrin. Hey, Greg. It's wonderful to be here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. It's been a very interesting life for me. I often say I feel like I've lived five lifetimes already so far. Um, I'm getting ready to turn 55, just to give some reference, Uh and it's been quite the journey. I was born into the Detroit ghetto to a homeless uh, mom who had been kicked out of her family and uh, was not doing very well. Wow. And she continued, unfortunately, to not be doing very well. So I consider myself feral. I raised myself. I am blessed in that I ended up not having a imprinting that most people have. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't have family values. I didn't have community values. I didn't have leaders. I didn't have anybody who um, gave me their view of the world. I had my own view of the world. Um, and talking about, you know, urban farming and eating off the land oh you know, gosh, as, yes. as a child in the ghetto, I was hungry and I learned to eat crab apples and barberry leaf bushes. Mm-hmm. And you know, besides the eating out of garbage cans and stealing from the local AMP grocery store right. um, and haunting the McDonald's that was two blocks away, um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I, for, I did a lot of foraging as a Urban five, foraging. six, seven-year-old child mm-hmm. in on the streets of Detroit. You know, this was, uh, you know, the 1967-8, you know, I was right. there for the riots. It was, it was a very interesting time period. You know, so, so that set the foundation for a lifetime of foraging, of seeing the world through a different lens, of 
becoming really connected with food at an early age. Well, yeah, that would have been the, the place that your life revolved around in an early age. It's like you got to get fed every day. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's very interesting to do as a young child. Mm -hmm. At seven, I ended up being taken by the state and went into a orphanage and I was there for a couple of years and then I was put through a series of foster homes. So I, I then had regular meals, you know, that were prepared for me. I didn't have a choice in. Mm -hmm. And by the age of 17, I was back on the streets of Detroit and doing my own thing. I had, I had run away. I was sick of the system. I was ready to just go take the world on myself. And again, without any mentors or resources or anything. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I kind of took the world on. I wasn't afraid of anything. And, but I was longing for connection. And one of the first things I did was get pregnant because I wanted a baby. Mm -hmm. I wanted family. I wanted connection. I wanted community. I couldn't really put words into what it was I was longing for. It's this human longing for connection. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm, you know, 19 years old and I'm, I'm holding this, you know, brand new little person. And the world kind of hit me like, whoa, I have responsibilities here. And, and, there was never anybody there who took care of me. So that, that kind of hit me for the first time. And through that love I had for that first daughter, mm -hmm. I, and, and trying to learn to feed her. Yeah. You know, so, so I nursed her, but then coming out of nursing, it was like, how do I do this? And that was all, my first adult stab at food and sustenance and, I very quickly became this, even though I had no background in it, this, you know, granola girl. I, I started grinding grains and uh -huh. making bread from scratch and haunting the health food store. And wow. it was, you know, it was, it was really interesting to go, how do I do this? this mm -hmm. You know, um, so also I was just simply wasn't enculturated to the typical American diet of the time period. You know, lucky me. And and so the world was my palette. I could right. simply just go, you know, I could look around and kind of find my way without anybody directing me. And, and I just seemed to have a natural instinct to move in a more natural realm. So I then had my second child and my third child. So I had six altogether uh -huh. and um, loved them and loved the journey. And my life tended to revolve around them and their needs and and it took a circuitous path. Uh, I went to university, got wow. a pre-med degree, which was a crazy thing to do. And it wasn't easy because I didn't graduate from high school. Uh -huh. I went to, I don't know, I think it was 13 schools between kindergarten and my sophomore year when I dropped out of high school. Mm -hmm. And um, so I then entered a university and had to do all the remedial courses. But I, I did it. It was really hard. And went through that process with kids in tow. I was single oh, mom, sure. three kids. Right. This was like the early this was 80s, for the 80s, right? Yeah. Mid, mid 80s. Mid 80s. Uh-huh. And I finished that in 91 and uh, except that I, I was, I had, I was on this path to go to med school and I, I was like, why am I going to medical school? You know, it's basically, I, I'm just not the career oriented person. I'm more <laughs> this natural granola girl, right? you know, and I was already doing natural medicine, and, and I'm also this, you know, I didn't know it yet, but I'm an activist. I mm -hmm. I am constantly trying to help other people see the world a different way, or I was at that point. I, mm -hmm. I've changed a little bit as I've gotten older. Haven't but, we all? Um, so I then left school, did not go on to higher education at that point, and went and lived off the land for a decade. So I uprooted my kids. We had been in Texas temporarily while I was going to school. Uh -huh. And I came, I, I came back to the Pacific Northwest, which is where I had come from. Well, I went from Detroit to the Pacific Northwest to Texas, back to the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. And I did this living off the land stage. I decided that I just, I just wanted to hang out with my kids. I wanted to homeschool them. I wanted to live off the land. I wanted to learn to farm. I all of a sudden had this just 
you know, I'm here I am, I'm, you know, 30, basically, and have three kids getting ready to have a fourth. Mm -hmm. And, and I had this irresistible urge to learn to farm, I wanted to grow my own food. Uh And I also had this very strange experience, I was listening to public radio. And they had some story about like, three fifths of the world or something at that point, we're living without running water. And it really hit me upside the head that what a privileged life Mm -hmm. I was leading, even Mm -hmm. though I was living in poverty, really, according to the U.S. I was like, I wonder what it'd be like to live without running water. And so I did this really crazy thing. I was just, I was at a point in my life ready for change. I moved my kids out to a 40 acre piece of land and built a house and lived without running water, hauled our water, didn't have electricity. Wow. Um, you know, so I did this very fringe living off the uh-huh. land thing. And I put in my first garden and I, I became a master gardener. I went and did that whole thing. Master gardening program, yep. Fell in love with food and food production. And again, just wanted to become a farmer. Just mm-hmm. had this insatiable appetite to become a farmer. And I met this guy who was a farmer and we ended up having a romantic relationship and he was farming. And I said, I, I want to move in with you. I want to learn to do this. And so he taught me how to farm and I spent seven years farming with him and became a certified organic farmer, did wow. hundreds and hundreds of farmers markets, really put us on the map at that point. So the other thing I learned is I had this incredible skill of engaging people and mm-hmm. and luring them in, if you will, to uh, participate in what I was doing. Uh-huh. And through that, I, let's see, so this would have been around 2000, 1998, 2000. I then became passionate about the environment and specifically agricultural issues, you know, related to pesticides and right human health related Mm -hmm. to toxins. And, you know, I was really waking up to the fact that we're exposing our children to so much stuff that they shouldn't be exposed to that are then really messing with them neurologically, hormonally. And I became enraged as a mom that this is not a fair world Mm. that my children are being raised in and they're being exposed to things that I'm trying to keep them from being exposed to and I can't keep it away from them. And that passion led me to form a nonprofit called Peach, which is People for Environmental Action and Children's Health, whose goal was to reach out to parents and educate them about making better choices Mm -hmm. for what their children were being exposed to. That nonprofit ended up running for 12 years. Wow. And and in in the end, or in the last five years, we decided to go into organic farming. And we had a 32-acre nonprofit organic farm that engaged 1,000 volunteers a year and grew food for people who had less resources. Mm-hmm. So during that time period, I really learned to do work with government agencies, write grants, raise money, and really connect the dots as far as what it is to be lacking resources and having access to nutritious food, you know, fresh grown, healthy, organic food. And that has, you know, since, I don't know, 19, no, 2000, no, 2008, I've had this passion to provide resources for people who are lacking resources or uh, mm-hmm. mostly food, like, you right. know, creating access to healthy, fresh grown, nutritionally dense food and lots of learning that happened about that. <laughs> um, it sounds like in it. The, in the process, I had kind of my first phase of what I'm doing now, which is I started a grocery store with the goal of raising money to help fund the nonprofit work I was doing at that time. What I learned about myself was I really hate asking people for money. I'm an introvert and it was always this, my, my gut would hurt and I would 
I just would feel like I just hated. And I, it, it was like what I set myself up for because of the nonprofit work that I had right. established was I was constantly having to ask people for money mm-hmm. and write grants. And, and it was just painful. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a little while and talk about where that all went. But basically, I failed at what I was trying to do. It got very big. I got quite popular, famous mm-hmm. in my region, and was able to really make some really cool impacts early in the work. Uh, one of the things that I did is I had this experience. So I, I've lived in poverty most of my life. I don't live in poverty anymore, but mm-hmm. I, you know, while I was raising my children, I certainly chose to live in poverty and certainly chose. I had an education. I could have done the work a day world, put my kids in daycare, put them through the public education system. I could have done all of that. I didn't see that as something I wanted to do. So I always knew that I was choosing poverty. It wasn't choosing me. And, but because of that, I was on the systems that you're typically on when you live in poverty. I received food stamps. I got WIC. Mm-hmm. women, infants, and children's right. nutrition program, foods, free foods. And at the time, the WIC program basically gave you milk and cheese. So this would have been 2000, uh, milk, cheese, cereal, you know, foods that I don't consider nutritious or really good food. You know, here I was, I was an organic farmer, a certified organic farmer, and I'm growing this great food. And I'm really clear about that. And I've got enough of an education to know the difference. And I wouldn't feed my kids these foods. And so what I would do is I would go to this big grocery store in Spokane that had a health food section. I would sneak, you know, their better, you know, their organic cheese, their organic milk, their a better cereal. And... I was able to hoodwink the system during that time period. And so even though it was against the rules, you know, these things could be purchased with these vouchers and people weren't clear about that. So I was able to just get away with this until one day (laughs) I was in the store, this big store. It was Mm -hmm. very busy. It was a Friday afternoon rush hour at the grocery store. And I got to the register And I happened to pick, like, the store manager was running the register. And I come up there with my, you know, organic, you know, contraband, WIC foods. And uh, this guy looks at me, and there's a long line behind me. He's like, what do you think you're doing? And I was mortified. No kidding. And I I stood there. You know, here I am. I'm this, you know, mom who's just simply trying to feed my kid the kids the food that I believe that they deserve, that I insist that they have, that have as much nutrients and as few chemicals as possible. And, you know, this guy is looking at me and I just became enraged. I I was, I shoved the food at him and, you know, I had tears in my eyes and I'm just like, this isn't fair. This is just not fair. Yeah. And, and I said, I'm going to change this. I, I didn't have any idea what I meant or how. And I woke up the next morning after that experience, and I was like, this just isn't fair. Something has to be done. And I was like, what is the WIC program, and, and who runs it, and why don't we have access? And at that point, I said, okay, I am this really busy mom with this whole tribe of children and I'm living this, you know, crazy off the land existence and doing this organic farming. So my life was packed. Every hour was packed with, you know, meal preparation. I made everything from scratch. My kids ate every loaf of bread. You know, I grew the food. I, you know, this is, this is how I raised them. This was the path I chose to take. And I said, okay, I'm going to take 15 minutes a day because that's all I've got. And I am going to work on this. I'm going to learn how this program functions, and I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to change it if I can. And so that first day, I called the WIC office in Spokane and said, you know, how does this program work? Who's in charge of it? How are the decisions made? You know, why don't you have organic food as an option? And the woman on the other end of the phone said to me, you know, 
organic isn't anything real. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and and I said organic isn't anything. Got to keep in mind this is this is you know like 2000. Uh-huh. You know, so that that's a while ago. And I said organic isn't anything real. I pay to have my farm organically certified every year and organic isn't anything real. And I was just livid again. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so I spent the next year learning, you know, who runs the WIC program, who's in charge of it, how does the governor relate to it, how does the secretary of state relate to it. You know, I learned the whole scheme. How how do things change? I, you know, I learned that every two years the food package was worked on. It was done state by state. There were some federal mandates related to it. Right. And 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 I said, oh, we can change this. And so. From that point on, and I did work on it, my 15 minutes every single day, and then those times got a little bigger and a little bigger. <laughs> but everyone I met, I said, you know, I ran a farm stand. I, you know, I was out there engaging people just in, you know, selling food and what I was doing. I said, hey, I, I need three letters to go. I need one to go to Mary Selecki, who was the state secretary of state. I want one to go to the governor who at the time was governor Locke. And I want one to go to this woman who is the top of the pyramid of the WIC program. And people did this for me. And I went at this for months and months. I put things on bulletin boards. I met with groups and organizations, you know, help me with this partner with, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just a mom who was enraged. (laughs) That's the activist coming out in you. Yeah. That was my first time to, you know, have this happen and so you know i live in this rickety old shack on this farm Uh you know with my kids living in poverty and one day my phone rings and um the the person asked for me and she said hi you know i'm kim wallace i am the head of the WIC department for the state of washington oh my gosh and i have hundreds of letters sitting on my desk and i need to talk to you and she said, um, I actually would like you to come to Olympia in Washington and, and in the state of Washington, talk to me and I will pay for your trip over here. Wow. And I was just kind of dumbfounded, right? And I'm standing there talking on the phone in my rickety shack with my kids running around. And um, I want to stop you here for a minute, though. That just brought me to tears. The fact that you oh. rallied so many people and then the state WIC program director calls you and says, we need your help. That My listeners know that I love calling out epic moments. And as I'm listening to you for the past, we're going 20 minutes now. I've been listening to you for the past 20 minutes. It seems to me that you live a, an epic life of extraordinary change. And then this happens. How are you feeling in that moment? I was dumbfounded. I I was just, you know, a nobody from the ghetto. I had no jurisdiction in my life as mm-hmm. far as I knew. I didn't know that I mattered. I really didn't feel like I mattered. I felt powerless. Mm. But the rage of a mother mm-hmm. drove me to push and push and push. And in the end, after public meetings and public comments and what, and I formed, you know, the nonprofit Peach during this time period, we won the right for the WIC program participants, 144,000 of them in the state of Washington, to have access to organic milk for the very first time. Wow. And when that happened, I went, whoa, (laughs) wow, wow. I can make a change. I, one single person yes. who's passionate about something, one single person, not even a group of five, mm-hmm. one. Yep. We are powerful. Our precious life, this thing we live, we individually are powerful if we choose to be. I like that to. That was my waking up. Yeah. I like to say that we're powerful beyond our own belief. We just have to stand up and do something with it. Yeah. And and I think we just so often simply feel 
powerless. Mm-hmm. Powerless even in our very simple parts of our life that we live. And we are not powerless. We are not. Yeah, we can all make that difference. Just choose. Right. So that's the, you know, the that's my story. That, mm-hmm. that is the early part of the story. And wow. my life went on to where it is now mm-hmm. to unfold into some much larger dreams, some much longer vision. So tell me about this Free Farms project that you're currently running. So Free Farms was born out of the nonprofit work that I did where I ran a 32-acre nonprofit farm. You know, I was an organic farmer. I had already, you know, saw the challenges. Not only, you know, personally, I lived the challenges of being resource-restricted. You know, um, you know, because I was an organic farmer, it means I could really grow and tap into producing my own food and providing that for my children. Mm-hmm. But I could see that, you know, I, you know, as a child, I lived in the ghetto. You know, there was no easy access. Of course, somebody should have been feeding me. Somebody should have been helping me. Right. But there just wasn't easy access as a child to good food. And then, you know, as an adult hanging out with folks who were resource challenged, it was so obvious that they were stressed beyond belief to get access to the resources that were available, the food stamp program, the, you know, there's, there's all of these barriers you and, and challenges and paperwork and requirements and proving that you live in poverty. And it's just, it's, it's exhausting being poor. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't understand that you know, there's this this whole, you know, what welfare queen, right? You're right. you're what laying laying on a couch and your kids are running around and you have all these things provided for you. It's like, no, no, reality is you're constantly stressed out because your electricity is about to be disconnected and your food stamps have run out because you don't have enough money to buy really good nutritious food. And you end up eating ramen and, uh, you know, the cheapest of the cheap things because you, and go hungry part of the time because food stamps aren't enough. And I was, you know, I get this and, and I was, uh, and so as I matured, you know, out of my last phase, which was starting a nonprofit and creating resources. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go a little out of order here because I know you want to share something. And the question I have for you is, can you talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that fairy and what you learned from it? Yes. Failure. Uh, that great teacher. <laughs> I very often like to say that, you know, really failure is the greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. So here, you know, I'm living this rich life. I'm living it from the standpoint of choosing to be impoverished, which had a lot of challenges. And at the same time, I was building things and engaging people. And so I built this nonprofit and I had to fund it, which was asking for money. But I also said, I'm tired of asking for money. So I started a grocery store. It was called Fresh Abundance and it got really big. I mean, really big. And even though like really big, like um, in its fourth year, it grossed $800,000. Wow. Um, But I, that ghetto person never had any training in how to handle money. I had no training in how to run a business. Mm -hmm. And so people loved my mission. They believed what I believed. And so they threw themselves behind it and the thing grew. But in the end, it ended up being built of tissue paper because Mm. it didn't have the right foundations in business. It didn't have the right accounting systems. It didn't have the right infrastructure. And I was challenged by people who uh, were selfish and didn't have the right motivations who came in to work and help me. Right. And so I, I was lacking the ability to pick good people. I didn't understand good infrastructure. And 
in the end, in 2008, we had an economy that was not thriving. <laughs> and between that and these other factors, the business went under. Mm-hmm. So it got, the grocery store got really big and then it collapsed, basically. Mm, I'm sorry. And if you want to talk about an epic failure, <laughs> I mean, that was an epic failure. And then the other thing that happened, so I had both a 501c3 nonprofit and I had a business that was a business, corporate business. And and the nonprofit was, you know, I definitely was channeling money from the grocery store business to the nonprofit side. And all of a sudden, you know, the grocery store was collapsing and on the nonprofit side, which had built this incredible infrastructure and all of these private public relationships and it was amazing where it was going and what I had planned for it. But the farm director there who I had been involved with for years, the person who taught me to farm, Mm -hmm. who shall not be named, he was jealous and he, he was jealous of how much attention I got and he Mm -hmm. wanted more attention. Mm -hmm. And, and this project that we had put together was all of a sudden in jeopardy he got an inheritance and he went to the landowner. We had a, a contract with the landowner, which we were getting behind on now, or uh, at least own contract. And he just said, I want to run this and I have money. And she sent me a letter and said, you know, you're in default of your contract and I'm pulling it. Wow. And my life's work basically that I had put 12 years of work into was yanked out from under me. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing I could do. And I was a public figure at that point, and I was embarrassed and sad. And I basically ended up going into a really deep depression. I I didn't crawl out of my bed for a month. I had gone back to school. I decided, well, as everything began to unravel, that I really needed to understand business better. And, And so I had it two years earlier started in a business program at a local university. And so I was two years into my program getting a business degree when all of this happened. Uh And I crawled into bed and I just quit going to school that quarter. Mm. And my life just unraveled. You know, it was, I, I had all of this oomph and all of this power and I had done all these great things and all of a sudden I just felt powerless. I felt defeated. I, I just was questioning myself, like, who do I think I am Mm -hmm. that I can do this or that there, maybe I really never did anything. And I just thought I did. (laughs) No, it's, I can clearly see that you did things. So what did you learn from it? The number one thing I learned is that I need to put myself first. Wow. A very interesting lesson. Very powerful. I had always Mm self-sacrificed. I had always put my own needs on the back burner. I had always pushed too hard, stressed too hard, um, did whatever it took to take care of everybody else. And for the very first time in my life, I went, I matter. And it was life-changing for me. Yeah. I, all of a sudden, you know, I was just this ghetto kid. My life didn't matter. Everyone knows that kids who live in the ghetto, their lives don't matter. Mm -hmm. And I knew this. So self-sacrificing came naturally for me. And it was my first time in my life that I mattered. Yeah. I mattered to me. I realized that I had to have enough sleep. I had to be fed well. Mm-hmm. I needed to be loved. I needed to be cared for. And that was the big, aha, wow. This isn't just about people who are lacking resources. Mm-hmm. This is a paradigm shift. You must take care of yourself first. If you can't take care of yourself, then you need to not put resources and energy into taking care of anybody else. Yeah. Amen to that. And from that point forward, that has been how I have lived my life. 
I always take care of myself first yeah. every single day. Good. It's powerful. It's yeah. really, really powerful to take care of yourself. Then when you've done that and, and you're well-nourished and you're not stressed and you've had all the sleep you need, now you're in a position where you can look around you and say, hey, where can I stick my hand out and pull somebody else up? Yep. Yeah, So exactly. that's where the place that I live now. So in 2012, mm-hmm. after everything fell apart around me, I was in, heading into my last year of school I call it my blank canvas year. My life, I, I got rid of everything I owned. And I said, okay, I'm going to finish school. What am I doing with the rest of my life? I no longer have this nonprofit that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life working on. Uh-huh. I no longer have the business that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life growing. I'm, you know, two-thirds of the way through getting a business degree. It was a blank slate for this crazy ghetto kid who <laughs> saw no boundaries, yeah, right? Yeah. And and I I was I was single, my children were all grown, uh-huh. you know, it was just me in the world again. Yeah. And I had no resources. I I I really was starting all over again, but with all of the beautiful textured knowledge of failure. Uh-huh. You and I are about the same age. I'm 56. And in the times Mm -hmm. of my life that there was that lull between either a success or a failure and what there was for me to do next, those are the most exciting, richest times for me. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Like a blank canvas. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. Knowledge. Yep. You have the skill. You know you can. Mm -hmm. There are no barriers. And, and and it was delicious. I'm like, I have a blank canvas. What do I want to fill it with? Yeah. And I really took my time and said, all right, I, I finished my last year of school. I graduated with my business degree. So I had success of failing mm-hmm. at a right. business that got pretty big. Yep. And I had all of the classroom experience. Now I knew how to write a budget, do spreadsheets, mm-hmm. you know, calculate everything, understand labor. How do you hire people? I learned all that from both failure and from the classroom. And that put me in a really unique, powerful place. So I said, okay. Well, let's look at my life and what made me happy and what did I hate. And, and I, I really took the time to get to know myself again. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, I really despise asking people for money. Don't ever want to do that again. And I really need to morph my project of creating healthy food for impoverished people into something more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Those two things really came together for me. And, and I said, okay, that means I'm, I need millions of dollars, right? So all of a sudden for the first time, the ghetto kid says, I need millions of dollars. <laughs> I'm okay with making millions of dollars. Uh-huh. Like I wasn't okay with that before because oh, of course. one, I didn't, I didn't deserve it. And who was I to think I should, you know, raise through our caste system and go to a different level and, but this was when I overcame that boundary and I just said, all right, what is it that I know how to do that I can go create a business that can make millions of dollars? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I can, I can make any kind of food. And I had changed my own personal diet in 2012 and became paleo and, and I was I was like not finding foods on the market. And I said, you know, I'm going to design foods for the paleo market. I'm going to go that direction. So I'm going to go start a business from scratch with no money, <laughs> which I did. Yay. I had $5,000 to my name when right. I started Sabertooth Paleo. I moved to a little tiny impoverished town where it was really cheap to live and there was space everywhere. I got a little tiny bakery space, 400 mm-hmm. square feet for super, super cheap, couple hundred dollars a month. Wow. And, and I took off from there. And 
I want you to know I've never gone and worked or raised money <laughs> for what I've done. This is a bootstrap company. And nice. I want to jump in here because um, I had an experience about three or four months ago. I was on the Azure Standard website. They're one of my suppliers of food for us here at the Urban Farm. They're a, a bulk buying club, so to speak. And I saw uh, this, what looked like an incredible product. So I'm on Azure Standard's website, and I find this product called Saver Tooth. That's S-A-V-O-R, Tooth Paleo Pizza Crust Mix. And it's like, ooh, this sounds good. So I immediately buy one. I only buy one at a time in case I don't like it. I immediately bought one, and it got delivered a couple, couple weeks later. And Heidi and I made it up, and it was absolutely incredible. And so then I actually looked up your website, savertoothpaleo.com and I started looking around at the different products that you had and and my experience with your product so far has been just extraordinary um, so tell us tell us how you got to the place of doing this paleo pizza mix and what's in it okay so I started this company I said okay I need to take a health food product national mm -hmm. and that will give me access to the cash flow i need for my my project that i want to fund mm -hmm. so now we'll talk about what it is what is this thing that's going to make the money that's going to fund the project the free farms project and we'll talk a little more about what that is in a minute mm -hmm. but Sabertooth paleo Sabertooth paleo is now three and a half years old and so it's still a very young company that right. is bootstrapped and was really tiny when mm -hmm. it started and it is growing like a weed. Uh, we are Yay, congratulations. We are, we are now still very small. We are a crew of five people that produce everything. Wow. Uh, we are super efficient and super good at what we do. We are in the Pacific Northwest, and we are in Azure Standard is, mm -hmm. is where we are right now. Although we can buy all your products on your website, and you can ship them to us, right? That's right. Or you can go to SaberToothPaleo.com and check it out. The website is still a little rough. Um, yeah. Again, we are still, that looks still great. very young. It looks great. I do all of the design work still. I don't hire that out. You know, I'm very frugal about the way that I, mm -hmm. I run everything. But, but the company is profitable and doing extremely well financially. Congratulations. So it's really great to not be struggling with that really for the first time in my life. Right. Even though I moved a lot of money around, I didn't know what I was doing. Now I know what I'm doing. The company is super stable. Everything's done correctly. Every license, every mm -hmm. bookkeeping tidbit, doesn't matter where you look at it. It is a bulwark. It is put together correctly and it will be a big, beautiful, powerful company as it moves forward. Yeah. Everybody wants our product. No matter where I turn, who I talk to, it's yes, you have cutting edge, super cool, super nutritious. So our products, the base, uh, we have mixes, we have pre-made products, uh, we have tortillas, pumpkin seed tortillas, pumpkin seed pizza crust. We have pumpkin seed brownies. We have pumpkin seed brownie mix. We have coconut granola. There is a whole line of these paleo foods, and they are amazing. And the base of our product line are organic pumpkin seeds. Wow. And pumpkin seeds have the highest protein content of mm -hmm. seeds. They, you know, when I first designed the food line, I am really into nutrition. You know, I'm getting older. I've always been into nutrition, but now that I'm getting older, I really am like, there's no room to mess around. I mm -hmm. want everything I put in my mouth to be the best that there is. Yes. And the, the most densely, yes. nutritionally yeah. packed. I want it to feel good in my belly. Mm -hmm. You know, I, my food needs to make me alive so that I can continue to keep doing this work that I'm so passionate about. And, and so organic pumpkin seeds is the base of everything we do. We fresh grind a, a pumpkin seed flour, and that is the base of everything. So if you look at you know, our pumpkin seed tortillas are our number one seller. Mm. I mean, can you imagine a tortilla made with pumpkin seed and it's flexible? Yeah, and it's it really good. Crack. Yeah, I ate some. It, it's amazing. And yeah. it's got all the nutrition in there, too. And it's delicious. You know, who doesn't want that? Yeah. And the other cool thing, I'm sorry, my life is just a little too cool. It gets, it gets <laughs> a little sketchy here at, at points. But um, 
I just found a farmer in Oregon who's going to be growing all of our pumpkin seeds. And that is like the super cool, most exciting thing to me of the moment. Mm -hmm. The pumpkin seed market was flooded with Chinese pumpkin seeds about four years ago. And the farmers in the U.S. who are growing pumpkin seeds really are struggling at this point because Mm – the cost is about a the Chinese pumpkin seeds are about a third the cost of the U.S. pumpkin seeds, and you know so it's really easy business wise to go that direction. Yeah. and, and we have to. I got to throw this in here. They're at least a third the nutritional value as well. I'm sure. Right. Right. And so, and I don't know that one for a fact. I try to be really honest and square with everything yeah. I say. Right. I haven't looked at the nutrition content of the Chinese seeds versus the American seeds. But what I do know is there's lots of sketchy stuff that happens, mm-hmm. you know, as far as things may not be uh, what they say they are. They yeah. could have pesticides. You know, they could, you know, this is, this is where it starts getting shady and we start worrying. And I'm determined that this company that I'm putting together is ethical and moral on every level that it possibly can be, you know, that the, the people who make the food are treated really well and mm-hmm. that they are fed the food that we make, you know, I mean, right. you know, that's important to me. Uh, you've got to take care of everybody in the yeah. process. So it starts with me. I take care of me. Mm-hmm. I'm fed well. I, my life is good. And then it's, you know, goes to our employees. They're fed well. Their life is good. They're paid well. They're happy. They're doing well. And then it goes to the customers. You know, you you make a product that enhances their life, and they feel good about eating it, and it feels good in their body, and they're nourished. And then the at the end of the day, they may believe what we believe, which is, you know, let's share the resources. Let's yeah. let's make the world better through our buying choices. So there you go. We make this absolutely premium product that is doing extremely well. It's super, super exciting at this point. We are very successful. And the only thing that is holding us back at this point is it is a bootstrap company. Mm -hmm. And I will not sell off part of the company. There'd be people who would, you know, like Shark Tank, right? Why don't you go on Shark Tank? And and I'm like, because we cannot (laughs) sell a piece of our company because that would be selling a piece of the future of free farms. Mm -hmm. And that would be giving somebody else power to say that not so much money would go to the good work that we are trying to fund. And so it has to be a bootstrap company. And then the other thing about that is I, because I crashed a company into, you know, the grocery store, I blew my credit. I blew my credit. I had great credit going into it. And my credit went down the toilet at that point. So I wasn't able to go into a bank and say, Help me. all right, I'm really ready now. You should fund this. Yeah. This, this is going to be this big company, this big natural foods company. You know, they just laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you already crashed a big business. We're not giving you money to fund something else. You know, so this has to be a bootstrapped company. Yeah, big time. So just give me the short story of Free Farm. Yay. All right. Here we are. Here's the big reveal at the end of all of this, you know, free farms, what free farms are, are small acreage. You know, I'm thinking two, three acres of land that are purchased in an impoverished area. Mm -hmm. And the whole goal is that Sabertooth Paleo will pay for this whole project. So we pay for the purchase of the land. We pay for all of the infrastructure development. And then we pay for the staffing that farms it. And the food that is produced there is free to anybody who comes and gets it. Mm -hmm. And the idea is remembering that little girl that I was in the Detroit ghetto who was foraging for food. So what I know about impoverished families is they're very often not thriving And it's hard for the parents, and maybe the parents aren't thriving, but I want access for anybody who can walk their little legs down there. Mm -hmm. So that means children can go to the free farm and get food. The adults can go to the free farm and get food. I don't care who goes to the free farm and gets food. They they can come across town. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't don't care if they're of resources or not of resources. I'm going to make sure it's closer to the people who don't have resources. Right. the idea is when you run a program, like say the food stamp program, you spend an enormous amount of money facilitating it because you're choosing who has access. And by not choosing who has access, you get rid of the whole burden 
both financially mm. and otherwise mm-hmm. of facilitating a program and right. deciding who has access. And so I said, let's not fund that. That it's not fun. It doesn't make sense. Let's not decide who gets to eat good food. <laughs> let's just let everybody eat good food. Let's let everybody eat good food and commingle. Mm-hmm. And it won't be a perfect world. You know, I have you know, people ask me all kinds of questions. What are you going to do when the teenagers come in and destroy things? I'm like, well, you just rebuild them. Yeah. You know, let let it find itself. I don't need to be the dictator of the system. Mm-hmm. My job is to make the money to fund it and provide the food to the people who want it. And that's it. Not to encourage them, not to, you know, tell them they should, not to educate them, not to anything. Just simply provide access and let those who want access mm-hmm. have it. Well, and when you're doing it in neighborhoods, the neighborhoods, I'm sure you're going to plug it into the neighborhoods, so they'll take ownership of it'll it. Have a, it'll have, right, it'll have whatever life it has. Those who yeah. want to participate will. Mm-hmm. Those who have questions and want to help grow it will. Those who only just want to get it and take it home and eat it will. Well, yeah. And that's fine. It's not my job to decide where somebody is on their path. Yeah. My job is to raise the money to create access. That's wow. all I care about. That's my passion. Wow. Wow. And so what I see is a person that's actually going to make this happen. You know, from Oh, it's definitely going to happen. Yeah, from 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 what <laughs> I mean, I've, you know, all the groundwork is laid at this yeah, point. From what I've seen over the past almost hour that we've been chatting, um, you make things happen. And, yes, and I, I do. T- yeah, and and you know, and one of the things that I love about me saying that is the way you claimed it, because you've said it multiple times in our interview that you know you grew up on the streets of Detroit and who are you, and you've shifted that who am I to hey I'm somebody that can make a difference and I do, and that too is epic. That too is epic. Right, and. My message to everybody out there is, this is your life, your precious, precious life, Mm -hmm. and it matters, and you can do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm going to shift on you now. We've already talked about a failure. What do you consider your biggest success? My biggest success was learning that my life mattered Mm -hmm. learning my biggest success was learning to take care of myself yeah to make sure that i am nourished to the best possible degree learning to sleep all the hours i need to sleep every night learning to be at peace in my heart Mm -hmm. and in my head you know, learning to take that quiet time and just be still. Everything will happen. Everything works. Everything comes together. All the resources show up. Every day I say, I have everything I need. I have everything I need. Mm-hmm. I have always had everything I needed. It just... Are we living in fear about it or not? Yeah, 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 there is there's no fear. Right. It's, you know, we live this abundant, beautiful life, and I have everything I need. So what drives you? I was born with this just epic desire to do good, mm. to, to make other people's lives better. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why. I just know that I get so much joy out of improving somebody else's life. And I don't have to know them personally. Right. Yeah. You know, I am the person who, you know, gives to panhandlers. I am the person who, you know, I feel an obligation that every single work, I have to give something to somebody somewhere, Mm -hmm. somehow. And 
you know, my husband and I ride our bikes every morning and we work out. And, you know, just recently there was some guy who didn't look like he was doing so well. And my husband stopped and said, hey, do you need a sleeping bag? Do you need a jacket? Is there something we can get for you? That's who we are. Like, mm-hmm. we love to give. It's just at the heart of who we are. Yeah. It feels the right way to live. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Hmm, that's a good one. Our lives are so unique. Our subjective perspective is each our own. But if, so I rarely want to tell anybody else what to do mm-hmm. for that reason. Like, how do I know how it is to right. be in anybody else's shoes? Basically, yeah. we've all walked different paths in this world. But I guess the number one thing that I would say is try to remember to take a little bit of time to check in with yourself. Um, mm. We we get so harried, you know, we wake up and we have a schedule and we have expectations and other people have expectations of us and, and we just go rip roaring and all of a sudden we're asleep again. And we can go on like that for days, weeks, months, and even years. Mm-hmm. And it's our life. Now, this is, this is your life. And are you living it the way you want to live it? Mm. So that's, that's the big thing. I think the world would be a much better place if everybody was living their life the way that it felt right for them to live it. Yeah. They weren't living it according to somebody else's expectations or some dogma or it's like, who are you? And, you know, are you really living your life with the purpose that drives you? gives you passion, gives you joy, makes you happy. So I guess that's just my, my little yeah. tiny two cents of advice. Uh, take uh, a little bit of time and check in with yourself. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. And, and, and in reflecting back on your story, I can see that you live that now. I reflect a lot daily. I love life. Uh, I very mm-hmm. often have said, I just, I am determined to suck the meat off of the bones of life. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I want everything out of this. I want to be a worn out. I want to learn everything I can. I, you know, uh, I'm not going to go away quietly. Right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible story with us today, Kifrin. It was a pleasure being here. Yeah. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and get some of your great paleo recipe stuff? Yeah. So if you are interested in what I'm doing, you know, please, please support it. SaverToothPaleo.com is our website. Our company's still young. The website site is still a little raw. So <laughs> know that we're growing so fast that it's really been hard to put the time into those certain faces mm-hmm. of how everything looks. But our products are the best. Yeah. They're pure. The ingredients are amazing. They're organic. I mean, all of this will be really obvious within the next couple of years, like all the packaging, everything will reflect it. Yeah. But it, you know, we're still a young company mm-hmm. and very exciting times to be growing so fast. Yeah. So SaverToothPaleo.com. You can also check us out on Facebook, Facebook SaverToothPaleo. And we're really good about getting back to folks if you have questions. And our food is amazing. Uh, you know, as our sales and all the mm-hmm. feedback we get show. And you're supporting a great cause. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to re-remind everybody, the reason you're on the show today is because I bought one of your products. And it was so good, I tracked you down. It's like, oh my gosh, I need to hear her story. So go to their website, purchase some of their products, try them out. They are absolutely incredible. I've had nothing but awesome luck with them. So you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash saver tooth. That's S-A-V-O-R-T-O-O-T-H. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how to save your own. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.